I know that I'm not worthy to call upon your name. When all my life I've been a sinner, and for that I am ashamed. But I heard that you would listen, so I'm giving you my plea. I'm too unworthy, Lord, to come to you. Could you please come down to me? I know that there are others who could offer more than I. And I promise you I'd understand if for me you have no time. You ever been there? I think I just hit bottom and I'm looking up to see. I'm too unworthy, Lord, to come to you. Could you please come down to me? Amen. And most of the time it's of our own doing, ain't it? Listen to this next verse. I guess I must be reaping from the seeds that I have sown. Lord, you owe me nothing. We haven't spoken for so long. Oh, but if you could spare some mercy, Lord, I'll pledge my life to Thee. I'm too unworthy, Lord, to come to You. Could You please come down to me? I know that there are others who could offer more than I. Lord, I promise You I'd understand If for me you have no time. I think I just hit bottom. And Lord, I'm looking up to see. I'm too unworthy, Lord, to come to you. Could you please come down to me? I think I just hit bottom and I'm looking up to see I'm too unworthy, Lord, to come to You. Could You please come down to me? Come down to me. You can continue to pray and talk to the Lord however you want to. This message this morning, I I wanted to sing that song because it's fitting for what the Lord has laid on my heart to speak to you about this morning. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5.
First Peter chapter 5, let's read verses 6 and 7. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, but we're going to move through them pretty quick. I like to do that because I like to back up everything I say with the Word of God. I could come in here and I could tell you whatever I want you to, whatever I want to tell you. And it could probably be true. But when I say something before the congregation like this, I want to make sure you know that what I'm saying lines up with the Word of God. There's no question when you leave that you heard God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5. Actually, let's start reading in verse 5. 5 through 7. This is what it reads. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you need his grace this morning? He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And here's the result of it. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. You may be seated. That is a wonderful invitation of God this morning. I love to read through and see the invitations of God. He, he invites us to do so much with Him. But this is one of the greatest invitations that, that, that God gives us as Christians, and so many of us neglect it. And I believe there's a reason why we neglect it. He said for us to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for you. The question I have this morning, how many of you are humble enough to be carefree. How many of you are humble enough to not worry about anything? The doctor comes up to you and says, you've got cancer. It's the bad kind. Well, doc, you know, I hate to hear it, but I'm going to be okay. How many of you are humble enough to, for, for the bank to call you to say, you've missed one too many payments you got to be out in two weeks. Well, the Lord will provide. Pack your stuff up and you move right on out. Are you humble enough to be carefree? That's a, that's a serious question this morning because, see, no one wants to admit and no one wants to think that pride is in our lives. No one wants to think that we're prideful people. But I want to tell you, in my opinion, from studying the Scriptures, I believe that there is one sin that has took down more of God's children than any other sin out there. And I believe that that sin is pride. The reason I say that, I give you a few examples. The very first example, Lucifer. Anybody know who Lucifer is? You do realize at one time that he was a son of God. He was the chief angel. And yet, what brought him down? Pride. He said, I'm going to set my throne above God's. Now, most of us in here have never reached that place. We never aspired to a place to where we believe we're greater than God. We're not stupid, most of us. So, I'm not going to say that everybody's pride is the same kind of manner that this was, but there are several different forms of pride, and I'm going to get there here in a minute. Another part of people, the city of Babel. 
Anybody remember that story? Basically, they said, let us build for ourselves a city which its tower reaches up into the heavens. He said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And then, you know what's funny about that? I went back as I was studying that last night. The Bible says that the Lord had to come down to see it. Have you ever noticed that? The city of Babel, they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a city that its tower stretches into the heavens. And they built it, didn't they? But then the Bible says that the Lord came down to see this great tower. Now, do you think God couldn't see it from where He was at? The Bible had to put it that way because He wanted to make sure we understood that even our greatest accomplishments, that in the eyes of God, He would have to come down here just to be able to see it. Do you see that? So pride brought down the city of Babel. God changed all their languages. He scattered them all across the nations. The next thing I saw, the children of Israel. Pride brought down the children of Israel. Every time they turned around, they decided they didn't want God to be their God. They wanted their own king. They wanted their own goods. They wanted to set up gods that agreed with the things they wanted. Basically, they wanted to be God themselves, correct? That's the whole reason they built an idol. That's the whole reason they would build this thing. They would set it up because they could make this God be happy with whatever they wanted to do. So in essence, what they were doing was they were setting up themselves to be God. I decide what's right and wrong for my life. I am God, not Him. It brought them down too, didn't it? Another thing, what about um, David? King, King David, when he numbered the people... Why did, he, why did he number the people? He had, beat, he, he had just had all these military accomplishments that God had delivered, and all of a sudden he said, go number the people. Let's see how great an army I have done so that, so that we have accomplished all these things. Pride. He began to well up that he thought that he was the one that had done all this. David did fight, didn't he? He led them in battle. However, who, who brought the victory? It was God. David, King Saul. King Saul started out humble, but somewhere along the way he began to take credit for things that he didn't do. Somewhere along the way he began to set monuments up for himself. Somewhere along the way he began to save kings of other nations that he was supposed to take down so that everybody could see what great things he has done. Slowly but surely, this man went from a man that stood and said, I am the least of all the tribes, and my family is the least of the tribe of Benjamin, and I am the least of all my family. That's where he started at. But somewhere along the line, he lost place. I can go king after king after king. Job, even though Job was a perfect man, there was a remnant of pride there. You know how I know? Because somewhere along the way, he got to a point to where he said, God, if I could find you, I'd come before your throne and I'd plead my case. I'd plead my righteousness. I would show you how good I've been. What does that sound like? Pride. He didn't even know it was there. It got stirred up when God began to remove things from you. King Hezekiah, I can go on and on. Pride has been the number one sin, in my opinion, that has took down so many of God's beloved children but here's the thing about it. Pride isn't just looking at yourself and putting yourself above God. 
Pride comes in many forms. Pride can be anything in your life that you begin to trust in and causes you to not acknowledge God. Have you ever got to a point in your life to where you begin to slip away from God and you begin to just live your life for you? Do you realize that's pride? You begin to realize that, you know, I don't need God anymore. And you say, well, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. You don't realize you did. But when you start slipping away from God and start living for yourself, you are in essence saying, I can handle everything that I need. God, I don't need you right now in my life. I am fully powerful and capable enough to take care of everything that happens in my life. What does that sound like? Pride. Pride can be anything that you trust in, anything at all that you trust in, and that makes you begin to not acknowledge God for the things that He has done. Why am I going here this morning? For several weeks now, for several months, we have been on a journey of um, finding our place in the will of God. And what is the will of God for all of our lives? What's that? To be like Christ. Romans 8 tells us that He predestined us. It is our destiny to be conformed to the image of His Son. His will for us is that we become just like the image of His Son. You know why? Because His Son is the image of Almighty God. And ultimately, what did He create us to be? An image of His glory. So by leading Christ in the path that He did, Christ became our example that we are to line up with and become Christ-like. So what I'm fixing to start on is a journey of Christ-like attitudes. If you had to pick one attitude that you would say Christ exemplified the most, what would you say it was? Humility. Thank you. Humility. Have you ever seen a more humble person than Jesus Christ? He put himself to the bottom of the barrel by saying no matter how bad the sinner is, I'll go all the way to the cross to save the worst of sinners. I will put myself down to the place not because I am less than they are. It's just a humbleness. It's a quality that he exerted. He didn't consider him less. Matter of fact, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. But even still, he humbled himself. The Bible tells us to humble ourselves. Here's what the definition of pride says. A high sense of one's own dignity or value. You have a high sense of your accomplishments, of what you have, of what you've done. Now that is not always a bad thing if it's in the right place. If the credit and the glory all goes to the fact that I have nothing were it not for Him, there's nothing wrong with standing and saying, praise God, I am where I am. A high sense of one's own dignity or value. A pleasure or satisfaction that's taken in an achievement or a possession. How many of you are proud of the things you own? You're proud of your house, Nick? Is there anything wrong with that? Where'd it come from? God. Would you have it if it were not for God? Humility. Here's the definition. Having an attitude of being low in rank, a quality or a station. The definition for being humbled is the destruction of pride. See, you want to possess the the attribute or the attitude of humility before you have to be humbled. You don't want to get to that point. 
You want to humble yourself so that God does not have to destroy the pride in you. Do you see that? So I'm going to look at just a few things this morning. First off, we're commanded many times in God's Word to be humble. I want to show you a few examples. And you ain't got to turn, Tim. I have them for you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. And said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? We are commanded that even in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must find this attribute of humbleness. We must find this place of Christ-like humility. And it comes with reward. Look the reward it comes with. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whoever becomes the least among his brethren, he will be the what? The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The next commandment, Matthew 23, verse 12. Look what it says. Whoever exalts himself will be what? Go ahead and lift yourself up in anything you do and, 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 and be not careful to give God the glory for it. And I promise you, you'll be humbled. And then he says, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So when we humble ourselves, the Lord Himself comes down and He lifts us up. He exalts us to that place to where He wants us to be. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction. How many of you have been there? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Let's look at Proverbs 22.4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. You want true riches? You want true honor? You want to find eternal life? comes right through there. Humility and the fear of the Lord is where those things are found. Look at first, again, one more time, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit. What does that sound like? Humbleness. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be submissive. Humble yourselves before one another. Do you know why? I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how high on the chain you become. We are each and every one on the same equal playing field. In the eyes of God, I have the same standing as the homeless man that lives under the bridge. In the eyes of God, we were all created the same. We were all created to be the same image of His glory. So He says, you humble yourselves and you be submissive to one another. Because no matter where you are in this thing, you are of no greater power or authority than anyone else sitting anywhere around you. So he says, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. You know why God resists the proud? Because He's God. There is none greater than Him. There is no power that is greater than God. And any time someone decides they have anything, all things come from God. So you let one thing that comes from God begin to stand up and think anything of himself or herself. He resists that. And he looks down and he says, you would have nothing were it not for me. And you're going to lift yourself up and think you've got something? You've got nothing. 
He says, God resists the proud all but when we humble ourselves and when we find that place to be able to stand before all men and confess and say, God, I am nothing, I would be nothing, and I have nothing except what you give. Then we find that place where God gives grace. He says, here you go. You're exactly right. And because you're so helpless without me, because you're so hopeless without me, let me show you what I got for you. I got everything for you. I give you everything I have. And it begins with grace. Pride comes in many forms. First form pride comes in. Pride comes in self-satisfaction. Let me say that one more time. Pride comes in self-satisfaction. Look at Hosea 13, verses 4 through 6, Tim. Yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought, but when they had pasture and were filled, they were filled and their heart was exalted, therefore they forgot me. You remember what I said that pride can be anything that causes you to trust in anything other than acknowledging God as being the source of all things. He says here that when they were in the wilderness, they knew Him. When they had no choice but to be completely dependent on Him, they knew Him and they humbled themselves and they, re they, they acknowledged that God, unless You bring us through this thing, we cannot get through it. We are completely helpless without You. But look what happened. When they had pasture, when they wasn't in the desert anymore, when all of a sudden things began to be a little okay, things started picking up a little bit in the business. The paychecks got to be a, just a little fatter. All of a sudden, they were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. They began to not trust in me anymore. You know what they trusted in? My job. As long as my job's there, Nick, I'm going to be okay. What happens if God takes that job away from y'all? What happens when your job is gone? What are you going to do? Where are you right now in your job? I hope in your job you're able to stand and say, God, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have a job. God, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have a family. God, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have these children. God, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have anything that I possess. So God, right here while I've got some pasture that I'm dealing in, I'm going to humble my heart and recognize that you are the only reason I have anything. Pride is self-satisfaction. When you start chasing after the things that satisfy you instead of chasing after God and what satisfies Him, that's pride. That's pride. The second source of pride. Pride is being self-sufficient. Pride is being relying on oneself. Whenever you begin to rely on you and your means and your capabilities to get you everything that you have, that's pride. When you begin to be self-sufficient in what you have. And you haven't... How many of you know God don't want you to be satisfied with where you're at? He don't never want you to get to a point to where you sit down and go, God, I, I'm okay with where I'm at with you. No. You know, God is like... He is the greatest father that there's ever been. But whenever my, whenever my niece was... Uh, my firstborn niece, Kayla, whenever she was firstborn, I was living with my sister. So I was... 16, 17 years old, 
and I was taking care of her because my sister was working third shift at Frito-Lay. And I can remember from time to time I would take my little niece and we would go down to my mama's house and we would sit there and we were trying to teach her how to walk. And when we first started, she would, the, there was a coffee table here in the middle that she would hang on to and I would back away from the coffee table just a little bit and I'd start patting my hands. And I'd say, come on. Come on, come a little bit further. And she's smiling, bouncing around, you know. And she, when she took her first couple of steps, you know, that was just the most awesome thing I've ever seen. But she couldn't stop there, could she? Somewhere along the line, my mother began to take the coffee table out of the way and my mama would sit on one end of the floor over here and I would back all the way up to the other and we would say, come on, come on. And then we would just keep going further and further back until she finally got to the point that she could walk anywhere she wanted to walk, go anywhere she wanted to go. Well, guess what? God, your father, is no different. Just because you've taken a few steps don't mean he's done with you, and he does not expect you to be satisfied with it. He's backing up just a little bit. You ever had times in your life where you felt like God just wasn't nowhere around? God, where are you? What's going on? You ever stop to consider that maybe he's just backed up a little bit to say, all right, come on, I know you're right here, but I'm over here. Come on just a little bit further. That's good right there, ain't it? That's from God. <clears throat> Pride is self-sufficiency. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your hearts and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water from you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that He might humble you and that He might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. See, we don't think that we would ever get in this place, but whether you realize it or not, probably every one of us have been here, and you didn't verbally say this. Do you think that they actually verbally said, my power and my might. How many people do you know that actually stand up on a rock in the midst of a big crowd and go, look at what I've done. Look at who I am. People don't do that. But in your heart you say this, not by words, but by action. Notice he said in that that they had built their own houses. That's right, they did. They had built their own houses. They had worked for these things. But see, they begin to fully rely on self and their capabilities. They were self-sufficient in what they had. They had an adequate amount. So they forgot God. They quit going after God. They quit seeking God. Yes, maybe you do have a good job. Maybe you do have things that are going good right now. But don't you know that God has better for you? Don't you know that somewhere along the way you've got to be able to look up and say, God, I know that you've got me in some good things right now, but God, I know you've got better for me. So God, I'm going to just keep chasing after you. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep going until I, I, until I am in that place of eternal happiness to where I will be 
forever satisfied. But as of now, I'm going to find my sufficiency in you. I'm going to find my self-reliance in you. I'm not going to rely on my means and my things to get us through. And then the third thing, pride chooses itself above instruction. Here's one where every one of us in here is probably a little prideful. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Remember, once again, pride chooses itself above instruction. Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their own hearts, and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash which is profitable for nothing. Here's what he says right there. The reason he calls it a great pride is because they refuse to heed his word and his commandments. How many of you have ever had a teenager that knows more than you do? Some of y'all teenagers are here, so don't raise your hand. That's right, Miss King. Some of y'all teenagers is here, so don't, in, don't embarrass them too bad. Most every single one of you, if you've ever had a teenager, they know more than you do. They know better than you do, right? That your instruction means nothing to them, right? Don't that sound like pride? Self-reliance. I don't need God's Word. I don't need God to tell me how to do this. I don't need God to tell me this is wrong in my life. I can go out and live how I want to live and do what I want to do. Well, that's pride. Watch it. It may start out as something real simple, but I promise you, pride goeth before what? Destruction, great fall. Pride chooses itself above instruction. It stubbornly refuses to be taught the way of God, and it makes its own wishes and truth. It knows what God would have me do, but it says, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's pride. And I promise you, destruction is coming. Destruction is on its way. It will come. The fourth thing, pride takes credit for what God alone does. Look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 30 through 37. Pride takes credit for what God alone does. This king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it, has, it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Y'all listen to this. I'm going to explain it to you here in a minute. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. I don't need to go no further, Tim. I want you to think about what's just happened. King Nebuchadnezzar had great Babylon. All the Jews were even there as captive in this place. And Nebuchadnezzar rose up and said, My power and my might has developed this. And God said, before the words ever got completely out of his mouth, God said, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Because of pride, destruction's coming. The kingdom's been torn from you, number one. Number two, for a time, you're going to graze like an oxen. You're going to be out of your mind. You're going to be out in a field eating grass like an ox. And the Bible says that after the word was spoken, that sure enough, King Nebuchadnezzar is out there in the field eating grass like an ox. And then he came to himself. His understanding came back to him. And when it did, he looked up and he said, God, <laughs> you are God most high. And you give kingdoms to whoever you want to give them to. I look like an idiot out there in the field eating grass. I promise you, pride goeth before destruction. Pride takes credit for what God alone does. I'm not going to go through any of the rest of them for lack of time, but I want to go over to Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to show you real quickly God's remedy for pride. You know this very well, but it's important that you continually be reminded of, of, of God's remedy for pride. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 6. We'll read 6 through 8. I want you to think here that this is where God comes to Israel about their pride. He comes to them to comfort them. And He wants them to know that here's what you need to understand what you have to do in order to make sure you don't go back to that place of pride. Here's the first thing that God's remedy for pride is in verse 6. The voice said, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? This is Isaiah. And here's what God told him to cry. You cry that all flesh is grass. <laughs> and you cry that all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. And here's like it is. Verse 7, the grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. What do you think God's trying to get across to him right here? Y'all just got scared because I took my jacket off, didn't you? It's 12 o'clock and I took my jacket off. That ain't a good sign for y'all, is it? Hang in there. We're going somewhere. What do you think he's trying to say to his people right here? That's exactly right, because you ain't. He's trying to get across to here that you are as weak as everything else that has ever been created. You are like the flower in the grass. You're here today and you're cut down tomorrow. You're temporary. You are weak is what God wants to know. God is not trying to demean you. He's trying to get you to a place where He can exalt you. And He has to get you to the point to where you understand that I am nothing. I have this little joke we do that, that comes from Psalms. Whenever I read it, I can't help but, but stop and say it real slow. But God actually says we are but dust. <laughs> Y'all got it, didn't you? But you know, that is truth. You think about dust. You think about dust. It's fine. A little wind comes by. What happens at dust? Oh, it's gone. You are but dust. That's it. You are temporary. You are dust in the wind and you the least little thing can blow you away. And it's important that you understand that because that is the place you can get yourself where you fully rely on Him. 
He is the sustainer of all life. You do not even take your next breath without Him giving it permission. If at any time He decides this is your last breath, that's it. It's over. Game over. You've pitched your last inning. Now you're going up there to see where you stand with Him. Remedy for pride, God has to remind us how weak we are. Even the most powerful men and women are weak. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 23 and 24, what God says. Isaiah 40, verse 23 and 24. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when He will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. He said even your most powerful men, the princes, the kings, the presidents, whoever you think are the most powerful, they are weak and useless without God as well. The wind blows on them, they're like grass. They wither away. We are weak, we're helpless. Look at the, the next thing, verse 18 through 20. God has to remind us that all other things we put our trust in are nothing more than small things made by God. Verses 18 through 20 says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too poor or impoverished for such a contribution... He chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. God has to remind us that all other things we put our trust in are nothing more than small things made by Him. Right here He talks about silver, gold, choicest wood, and all the things that we treasure here on this earth. And then look at what He says about them in verse 25 and 26. Isaiah 40, 25, 26. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. He said, people, everything you live your life for, all these riches, all these things that you chase after and that you put your, your trust in, lift up your eyes on high and see the One who created every single one of them. Everything you put your trust in and your ability in, it comes directly from Him. So lift your eyes up there and see Him. God wants to remind us that we are weak. He wants to remind us that all of the things we put our trust in are nothing more than small things made by God. My last and final one. Final. I am closing. God has to try and give us some kind of understanding of how great He is. How many of you know there's no way possible that you can fathom in this lifetime how big God is? You only know in part. You know a piece of a percentage of what God is, if that. But God has to try to give us some kind of understanding how great He is, especially compared to the things that we know about. Look at verses 12 through 17 of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 12 through 17. This is what it reads. He, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I want you to think about what is the hollow of your hand? 
Somebody point that out for me. Where's the hollow of your hand? That little circle right there in the middle, correct? Did you just hear what this said? Here's what you need to recognize about God to keep pride from coming up in your life. Who has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? In other words, God said, let me show you how much water is on the earth. Just enough to dip my finger in. That's it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? But look at that. Who has measured heaven with a span? You know what a span is. A span is the distance between here and here. Correct? Can you imagine heaven being measured by this right here? So tell me, how big is God? He can hold all the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. He measures heaven with his span. And we think we're something, don't we? He goes on, he says, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. He said he takes a little measure, like, like what you cook with sometimes. He takes a little measure thing, and he measures all the dust of the earth in it. He says, yep, one cup. Perfect. One cup of dust. He says not only that, but who weighs the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who has? Who has told His Spirit what to do and where to go? Who has been His counselor? Who has taught Him? With whom did He take counsel? And who instructed Him? And who taught Him in the path of justice? Who taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. Nick, let me ask a question. You ever taught God anything? <laughs> Pretty good teacher though, ain't you? I mean, you know, you know, you could teach some stuff. You ever taught God anything? Not yet, okay? So not only that, but the nations are just a drop in the bucket. I'm not even going to go through the rest of this thing. I'm telling you, you need to read this whole chapter as Isaiah chapter 40, and you need to understand three things. Number one, you are weak. You are helpless. You are hopeless without God. If you plan to accomplish anything that will stand to amount to anything, who are you going to have to have by your side? What did Jesus say? You, what can you do without him? Nothing. You are weak, you are helpless, you are hopeless without him. So don't never start depending on you, your job, or anything else you have. Put all your confidence in him, all your trust in him, and pride won't be a factor for you. Second thing, recognize that all the things we chase after, all the things we put our trust in, when you go through, when, when a storm is coming, you won't find the safest place in your house, don't you? How many of you know you can walk out on your front porch and you can sit right in the middle of it? And if God is your God and His hand is around you, you're going to be okay. Shane, you ain't got to run and hide, Shane. Oh. Shane's scared of storms. <laughs> I want you to know that every house, every car, everything you put your trust in, your bank account, God is the one who created it. He established it. So lift your eyes up to Him and recognize the one who has called them all by name. He created them. And last but not least, if you want pride not to be a factor in your life and you want great humility in your life, you always take a, take a step back and you look at how great He is. 
And the next time your heart lifts up inside of yourself to say, look at what I've done, or the next time your heart is afraid for something and you worry about something, preach to your heart. Look at your heart and go, heart, who are you? Who do you think you are to be afraid as God is my God? Who do you think you are to worry about this, heart? My Lord is the shepherd. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Heart, who do you think you are to worry about this? Heart, who do you think you are to think you have accomplished anything? Heart, who do you think you are to think we should put our trust in worldly things that He has created? The next time you see any of these things well up, you look at your heart and you preach to it. And you remind Him that you are weak, but He is strong. Amen? Y'all stand. I'm done this morning. Thank you for your time and attention. I want you to evaluate your life right now, and I want you to ask yourself a question. This is a very important question for you this morning. Remember, humility is one of the number one things you need to possess in your life. You have to possess it to inherit the kingdom of God. You saw that, right? Do you completely trust in God or are there areas in your life that if God began to remove them, you would start sinking? Let me ask that question one more time before we sing. Do you completely trust God in your life? Or if God began to remove things from your life, you'd start sinking. If God removes something from your life, your trust ought to be so deep in Him that you say, God, we're going to be okay. God, if you remove this, it's going to hurt, but we're going to be okay. Do you completely trust God in that aspect? Just a couple more questions. What are some things that you currently put your trust in instead of fully relying on God? Are you humble enough to be completely worry-free? How many of you worry about everything? I'm one of them. Man, I worry about God. When are you going to give me this message for Sunday morning? God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Are you humble enough to be completely worry-free? Put that pride down and put your trust in Him. Whenever your heart starts to worry about things, preach to your heart and say, Heart, who do you think you are to worry about God's business? This has got nothing to do with you.